Justicia. The good news is finally here. Friends, listen to me. This is serious business. What the world needs today is Jesus. The Bible says in John 3.16 that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And hello, everyone, and welcome to a program, The Truth Will Set You Free, Bible Prophecy Edition. I'm Victor Tisa, along with my co-host, Nathan Jones, who we're Lamb, Light, and Ministry. And we thank you for being part of our program today. We have a great program prepared to you today that we have titled The Great Slaughter. As we look at Ezekiel chapter 39. So stay tuned to today's program. For those of you that are following us on social media, pray.com and the like. We'd love for you to share this program with your friends and family so they can follow along with us. And if you have a Bible, get your Bibles ready. You don't want to miss this program and follow along with us. But before we continue, I'm going to ask my co-host Nathan Jones if he will open us up with a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word, which lights our paths and Lord helps us understand what's going on in the world. Uh, Lord, we're in a very important chapter, chapters 38 and 39, which, Lord, uh, very well could break out in this time period. So, Lord, we very much want to understand it. We understand you and your will for us. We praise you and we thank you, Lord Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Again, tuned into the Truth Who Set You Free Bible Prophecy Edition. Vic Batista and Nathan Jones. Our topic is the Great Slaughter as we look at Ezekiel chapter 39. And of course, before we continue, I'm going to welcome my co-host of the program, Nathan Jones. Nathan, another wonderful week. Oh, brother, it's a blessing. How about yourself? The same here. I'm looking forward to the new seasons, a new uh, time change, the new climate change, and the cool weather that is rolling in, Nathan. I don't know about Texas, but it sure feels nice for a change. Yes. Yeah, we actually had to put a jacket on yesterday, uh, you know, after a 100-degree summer, <laughs> all summer long. Put a jacket on is quite a paradigm shift. <laughs> Isn't it weird, right? You're waking up in the morning now with a jacket. Time just seems to go so fast. It does. Well, here in Texas, too, we don't really have much of a fall. It goes summer, summer, shoots down through fall in about a week or two, and then we're back, yeah, we're right into winter. So <laughs> I, I've been falls because falls are, falls are special. And uh, I don't know, I always wondered, have you always wondered in the millennial kingdom when uh, you know, some theologians believe the earth will be put back right on its axis and the whole earth will be a, a garden-like condition again, we won't you know, have the polar ice caps anymore and, and all that. If we'll have seasons anymore, do you think we'll, we'll have seasons in the millennial kingdom? Nathan, that is a very good question. And actually, I'm not 100 percent sure. I mean, maybe maybe we'll have a different type of season, maybe not necessarily the seasons as we know it with the uh, temperature change, but maybe time. Uh, as we know, Nathan, actually, that in the millennium, there's going to be millions of people that are still going to be in their natural bodies. So that, you know, that's something to ponder on. Right. Yeah. I, just I don't. The Bible doesn't tell us uh, I, I think there'll still be seasons, like you said, but they might be growing seasons versus, you know, or wet or rainy versus dry seasons, kind of similar to the equator. But I, I'm going to miss falls and uh, the millennial kingdom, too. It sounds like the it, the plains of the earth are some of the references. And so, like, will there be mountains other than Jerusalem in the millennial kingdom? I'll miss mountains, too. Well, I can't say I miss them because Florida is so <laughs> flat. <laughs> And I'm not trying to lament that, oh, it's not going to be any good in the millennial kingdom. It's going to be awesome. It's just going to be a, a lot different and a lot of yeah. many good ways, right? Yes, yes. Like, and you're right, because let me tell you, I enjoy the snow. I enjoy the, 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 the seeing the snow, but I don't enjoy driving in the snow. So I'm glad for that part. <laughs> there 
Oh, there you go. Yeah, we're you're a beach bot boy, that's for sure. <laughs> but yeah, Nathan, but maybe other people out there are probably saying, what are these two guys up to? What are they talking about? And what what what, uh, what is the Millennial Kingdom? Well, we have a lot of resources, right, Nathan, that people can tap into to learn more about the Millennial Kingdom. Would you be able to share with folks how they might be able to get a hold of those resources in case they're new to a program? Oh, absolutely. I love the Millennial Kingdom so much that I wrote my doctoral dissertation on it. And uh, I've just recently spoken with Harvest House, and they're interested in me proposing a book on the subject. So, yeah, man, I guess maybe I've got Millennial Kingdom on the brain lately. But you can find all our resources on our website at ChristInProphecy.org or download the Lamb Lion app. Uh, you'll find a wealth of information about Bible prophecy, not just the Millennial Kingdom, but, you know, what's going on in the world and uh, you know, how does it relate to the Bible and what's coming in the future? Well, the Bible tells us 31% of the Bible is prophecy. So check us out, ChristInProphecy.org or to download the Lamb and Lion app. Thank you, Nathan, for sharing that. And yes, folks, make sure that you get a hold of those wonderful resources to keep you up to date uh, uh, with some of the events that await for us in the future. So, Nathan, very exciting times that we're living in, challenging times that we're living in but also prophetic times that we're living in. And that has to do even with what's happening right now with Israel and Hamas. And, and this past uh, week has been uh, an interesting week. A lot of people have a lot of question about what's going on. Is this uh, part of the Ezekiel 38, 39? Uh, but Nathan, I'm glad that you've also, you and Tim have been updating folks in terms of what's going on in Israel right now. Yeah, if you go to our Christ and Prophecy YouTube channel, we have Hamas uh, and the End Time Wars, which is a video where Tim and I uh, discuss what's going on. Uh, we're going to have a Christ and Prophecy episode coming out uh, soon after this episode airs. And so you can watch the TV show and we'll, we'll discuss it again as well. Of course, things are moving fast. Uh, you know, at the time of this recording, President Biden is over there in Israel. Uh, some in Israel are wondering if he's not a human shield trying to slow Israel's attack against Hamas, and they did. He actually, Israel has postponed for a week their ground invasion of, of uh, the Gaza Strip because of Biden being there. And we know that Biden has got a lot of loyalties to Islamic terrorist groups. Go figure. You know, he made the deals, he, especially under Bi uh, Barack Obama, uh, to make the deals with Iran. He's freed up $6 billion and unfreezed a lot of the money that we've been sanctioning. And so Iran is fully funding Hamas and Hezbollah and other terrorists. And then uh, there's a lot of Muslims on Biden's staff. So you got to wonder, why is Biden over there in Israel right now? I mean, it took him a year to get over into the Ukraine and, and, and in a war zone, but he quickly, you know, <laughs> lickety split, he's over there in Israel. So I don't know, man, it's a, li it's a little strange, but folks are wondering, you know, was this prophetic? Why is the president of the United States getting involved in this? Uh, does he see that there's a potential that's getting bigger and the whole Middle East exploding? And I know Biden's worried because of uh, re-elections that gas prices will shoot up if there's a war in the Middle East. And, you know, historically, when gas prices are high, uh, presidents and candidates aren't re-elected. So I'm sure there's many different reasons. But uh, prophetically, man, I'm glad we're diving into Ezekiel 38 and 39 because folks are asking, uh, is what we seeing the beginning of the Gog and Magog war? And I think we can answer that, right? 
Absolutely, Nathan. And that's why we want to encourage individuals to get their Bibles ready and follow along with us as we continue in Ezekiel chapter 39, because we're also going to talk about the timing of all this and how it affects what's happening today, which is actually something very important. But not only the timing, but also we're going to be looking at the purpose of why this is taking place, the timing of this, and also the the uh, the, the reason why uh, this invasion. So Nathan, yeah, we can pick it up in Ezekiel chapter 39 uh, at verse 17. But prior to that, Nathan, on our last program, we talked about the nations that are gathering around Israel to come against it. But then God steps into the scene and begins to wipe them out. And as we pick it up, we're also going to notice now the outcome of this battle when all these nations surround Israel and try to come to destroy it. So, Nate, would you be able to pick it up for us in chapter uh, 39, if you can read verses uh, 17 through 19, and now read verses 21 and 22 in case someone doesn't have a Bible? Okay. Are you picking up 20 as well? Uh, yes. Okay. So I'll read 17 through 19. And as for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, speak to every sort of bird and to every beast of the field. Assemble yourselves and come. Gather together from all sides to my sacrificial meal, which I am sacrificing for you, a great sacrificial meal on the mountains of Israel, that you may eat flesh and drink blood. You shall eat the flesh of the mighty, drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams and lambs and goats and bulls, all of them fatlings of Bashan. And you shall eat fat till you are full and drink blood till you are drunk at my sacrificial meal, which I am sacrificing for you. You shall be filled at my table with horses and riders and mighty men, and with the men of war, says the Lord God. Oops, got ahead, red 20, sorry about no, that. No problem, verse 21, it's an exciting passage. I will set my glory, I will set my glory among the nations. All the nations shall see my judgment, which I have executed, and my hand, which I have laid on them. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord, their God, from that day forth, forward. Now, Nathan, amazing because to start out, first of all, none of this would take place unless Israel was already back in their land and they were a nation. Excellent point. Yeah, I mean, you can't have Russia, Turkey, Iran, uh, the Stan nations, Sudan, Ethiopia, Libya, all these what are today Islamic nations plus Russia gathering together for this great invasion to plunder and destroy Israel. Uh, we've read earlier that God steps in because the IDF, as powerful as Israeli defense forces are, they cannot stop such a large invasion. And God steps in and with supernatural power, he uses earthquakes and fire and, and flood and, and then armies turn on each other. And then the armies send fire to Israel, which we assume is rockets, possibly nuclear weapons. God turns them around and destroys the countries that shot them off. And it says that only a ninth of the the army's left and it flees to the farthest northern parts of the world, possibly Siberia. And so the end result is that Russia and the Islamic world is defeated by God himself. And we read in chapter 38 how the Lord did this for his holy name. He is the protector of Israel and his archangel Michael. And so the Lord is doing this to bring the Jewish people, the, all the Jews, not just half of them, which is 7 million in Israel, but the other 7 million living around the world will leave their countries and they will go to Israel, and all the Jews will be in Israel, and that will be set up for the final war, which occurred during the tribulation time period, a seven-year time period where God's judgment will come upon the world, and the whole world will turn against Israel. And 
and the Jews being in Israel, they're, you know, they're all in one place. It's where they believe they're safe. So we're seeing here that there's this incredible prophetic war coming up, the war of Gog and Magog, we call it. And the end result is that all these armies are dead. They're all over the place. They're littering all of Israel. And so God calls all the birds together to have this great feast on all the dead. And Nathan, that's a very good point. And that's why we wanted to di differentiate uh, the timing and what these events are all about. Because sometimes people read this passage and they look at those verses speaking about the birds that are going to be gathered to drink the blood and eat the flesh. And immediately they're thinking, wait, is this the time of the tribulation? Is this was, but we're talking about two different events separated by two different time periods. One will take place in the tribulation, which is the seven year period uh, consisting of the great tribulation. And this event here in Ezekiel chapter 39, we don't know the timing of it yet, but we know it's getting close, right, Nate? Right. If you go to our website at ChristinProphecy.org, you can search Gog, Magog, or go under the articles on tribulation. I have a, a very long article and a video presentation to go with it that takes you through all the timing clues involved in when the Gog-Magog war could possibly take place. For instance, there are general timing clues that Ezekiel uses the term latter years and last days, which points to the end of the church age and, and getting into the tribulation era. There's a, a second timing clue that rejects the claim that, that the Gog and Magog war has already happened in history. Never has this coalition of nations ever attacked Israel, so we know its future. There's a third general timing clue uh, back in Ezekiel 36 and 37 that says that the Jewish people have to be regathered back in their land from all the countries of the world. Well, <laughs> they're back. So, yes, you said earlier, yes, Israel has to be back in the land. So we're living in the age where the Gog-Magog war could happen. Uh, the fourth general time include involves the developments nationally that have to occur to make the nations of the coalitions unite in an invasion of Israel. And we're watching on the news now how Putin and Russia and Erdogan and Turkey and the Ayatollahs in Iran and, and all these countries that have formerly been enemies are now meeting together on a regular basis, often brokered by China. And what are they planning? Well, as we read here, they are planning the Gog and Magog invasion. They want to plunder the Middle East and take Israel out. So, yeah, that's already in the news now. And then the fifth general time in clue, if we back uh, chapter 38, verse 11 says, I will go against the land of unwalled villages. I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates. So this coalition attacks Israel when they feel safe and secure. Well, you know, it can be argued after seeing uh, Gazan terrorists, uh, Hamas terrorists, pour into Israel and kill 1,300 of them and drag 150 to 200 hostages away, that Israel isn't feeling safe. And so something has to happen before the Gog-Magog war. And brother, I think that that's the Psalm 83 war where Asaph prophesied that Israel would subjugate the neighboring, hostile neighboring countries around them. Gaza, Lebanon, Jordan, Syria, Egypt, all these nations would come under the control of Israel. And once Israel controls them, they will feel that there's a time of peace that would incite the rest of the Islamic world to come against Israel. So we have these timing clues that let us know that we're living now in that age where the Gog-Magog war could happen. Now, as it relates to the tribulation, I go through a lot of the different arguments. Does it happen 
before the rapture or after the rapture and before the tribulation or during the tribulation or after the tribulation or at the very end of the millennial kingdom. And I believe that, and, and based on a lot of research I've done, especially Ron Rhodes's great book, Northern Storm Rising, that the Gog-Magog war happens after the rapture because God focuses instead of on the church, he focuses salvation on Israel, but just before the onset of the tribulation. Why? Because as we read in the last episode, the, the Israel will spend seven years cleaning up the dead and using their weapons for fuel. And what do we know the tribulation to be? Seven years. So it appears that this will happen. We won't be here to see the Gog Magog War. We'll be raptured out if you're saved. But it will happen just before the tribulation commences and the Antichrist will rise to power as the geopolitical world shifts when Russia and the Islamic world is no longer a player. Right, and Nathan, and I definitely agree with you as well. And for those of you that maybe just tuned into the program, you tuned into a 2273 Bible Prophecy Edition, Vic Batista, Nathan Jones, as we're looking at Ezekiel chapter 39 with a message titled, The Great Slaughter. So Nathan, and those are, those, those, that's a great clarification so that individuals can see the difference between these events that are going on. And also not only that, Nathan, but here in Ezekiel chapter 39 verse 17 i also noticed there that the call to the birds of prey to come uh verse 17 says and as for you son of man thus says the lord god speak to every sort of bird and to every beast of the field assemble yourselves and come and then i look at actually a parallel uh, a reference passage nathan that we spoke about earlier to differentiate these two events when we look actually a revelation chapter 19 verses 17 through 21 we see the invitation to the birds of prey here called out by one of god's mighty angels and you and i wrote this amazing book god's the mighty angels of revelation and uh, verse 17 here obviously this is an event that's taking place at the end of the tribulation jesus christ is fighting against his armies and revelation chapter 19 verse 17 says then i saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of the heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and those who sit on them and the flesh of all people free and slave, both small and great. Verse 19 says, and I saw the beast, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in, the pre in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast, those who worship his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of burning with fire and brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. And Nathan, like rightly so, these are two events happening at two different time zones. Yeah, uh, so we got the Battle of uh, Gog and Magog, or the War of Gog and Magog, which Ezekiel 38 and 39 tells us. And it's two whole chapters. I mean, it's the longest end-time prophetic war explained in the entire Bible. But what you just read in, in his, uh, Revelation 19, for folks that don't know, that's the Battle of Armageddon. So that's at the end of the tribulation, just before Jesus comes. And so, yeah, there's some similarities. I mean, for one, it says that it, they both take place in the latter years and last days. In other words, the end times. And so, yes, they've got that similarity. We've got the 
the invaders being eaten by the birds and wild animals, that's similar. Uh, we also said that the result will be that the Gog-Magog invasion, that Israel will acknowledge God. And, well, <laughs> that at the end of the tribulation, when Christ returns, a remnant of the Jewish people will call out to Jesus Christ to rescue them and be their savior. So we've got those comparisons. So some people say, well, look, Gog and Magog and Armageddon are just two explanations of the same thing. But we got to look at their differences, too. Like, for instance, the peaceful precondition where Israel is living unsuspecting and at peace before the Gog-Magog battle. Well, that, that's certainly not going to happen during the tribulation when the Antichrist is assaulting them. So uh, there's that difference. Uh, the nations in the two battles uh, don't match. In the Gog-Magog battle, we've got Russia and Iran and Turkey and Libya and a few others. But in the at the Armageddon, all the armies of the world are gathered to destroy Israel. So that's a difference. Uh, the locations of the battles don't match. For instance, the Gog-Magog war happens on the mountains of Israel. But Armageddon happens in the plains or the Valley of Jezreel. So the locations are different. <coughs> We also have the leaders aren't the same. We have Gog. He's the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. He's, he's Russian in, in background, or at least from one of those stand nations. But at Armageddon, we have the beast, the Antichrist, who's ruler over the entire earth. He comes from Europe. So the leaders are different, too. We also find the armies uh, fighting two different opponents. We got the Gog, Magog invaders want to conquer a peaceful, unsuspecting Israel. But the Armageddon invaders gather to make war against Jesus Christ knowing he's returning. Uh, the counts of the feats of the invaders don't match. The Gog-Magog invaders are defeated by God. He's flooding, rain, great hailstones, fire, and brimstone. But at Armageddon, Jesus himself shows up and uses the sharp sword of his mouth, meaning he just speaks and the armies collapse and, and the blood fills the valley of Jezreel. Uh, Ezekiel describes several nations protesting the Gog-Magog invasion, but Armageddon no nations protesting. They're all for the destruction of Israel. And the final difference between them is that Ezekiel describes Israel burning the invading weapons for seven years. And that would again place the Gog-Magog invasion just before the onset of the tribulation, where when Jesus returns, there's no need for Israel to burn weapons for seven years into the millennial kingdom because the millennial kingdom is a utopian type setting. So yes, absolutely, Vic, the Gog-Magog war and the Battle of Armageddon are two totally separate wars separated at least by seven years. I love that, Nathan, and thank you for that clarification. And I hope that has helped uh, those of you that maybe had questions regarding this. Sometimes people read the Bible and they are not sure what's going on with these events, but the timing is different. Uh, we notice uh, in Ezekiel chapter 39, as we go back there, the purpose, why God is doing it, what's going on. We pick it up there in verses 23 to 27. The Gentiles shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity because they were unfaithful to me. Therefore, I hid my face from them. I gave them into the hands of their enemies and they all fell by the sword. According to their uncleanness and according to their transgressions, I have dealt with them as hidden my face from them. And then we notice there verse 25. Therefore, thus is the Lord God. Now I will bring back the captives of Jacob and, the, and have mercies on the whole house of Israel. And I will be jealous for my holy name. After they have bore their sin, the shame and their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me, when they dwell safely in their own land and no one made them afraid. When I have brought them back from the people and gathered them out of their enemies' lands 
and I am hallowed in them in the sight of many nations. Nathan, exactly what you were saying. We notice here they're at peace. They were regathered. And God also shares his purpose in what he's doing. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. Uh, just to step back real quick. Uh, have you been hearing about all the birds that have returned to Israel? Uh, yes. It, I, <laughs> yeah? Yeah, I was... I was actually reading about that, Nathan, and, and it is very intriguing. It is. I mean, when you think about it, when the Romans basically leveled Israel in, in its destruction and besiegement of Jerusalem, they chopped down a lot of the trees and all, and the Lord promised that if the Jews weren't in control of the land, that the land would fall into desolation, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, Mark Twain, in his book, The Innocence Abroad, in the uh, 1870s, went over to uh, Israel and for three days, he said they, they never passed another human being. Everything was just gray sand or you know sand and rock, and there weren't any birds. But when Israel came back in the late 1800s and the 1900s, and they started restoring the land and bringing crops and fruit and, and agriculture again, and Israel became the breadbasket of the Middle East, what also returned? The birds, especially the carrion birds and the migrating birds. So the Lord has been calling all the birds back to Israel in fulfillment of another prophecy that they will feast on the dead bodies of the invaders. Nathan, and that's a that's a great, uh, uh, you know, people need to understand that a lot of this could not have occurred unless the people of Israel were back in their land. And now there's millions of them. And with that, you have agriculture, you have, uh, uh, I mean, technology, everything is just blowing up. But also the increase of people, the increase of animals. And that's why when these prophecies say that wild birds and the animals are going to uh, uh, come to feast on this uh, carcasses, if you will, it's because of the multitude of growth that has taken place. And that we have seen happen in the last, what, 75 years, Nathan, or so, compared to before that there was hardly nobody living in Israel. Yeah, what water there was was swamp land. The Jews had to drain the swamps, so they used giant trees to suck all the water up. They turned the desert into a, a bun. You can even go to the Dead Sea and see groves of date trees where they're trying to grow them into, into land that is totally inhospitable. The Jewish people have brought Israel back from the dead, and as a result, the birds and the, the animals have returned so that they can feast. Uh, but since we have little time, let me just quickly read 28. Why is he doing this? He says, then they shall know that I am the Lord their God who sent them into captivity among the nations, but also brought them back to their land and left none of them captive any longer. And I will not hide my face from them anymore, for I should have poured out my spirit or shall, excuse me, have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, says the Lord God. Isn't that amazing that God's doing this not just to defend Israel from its invaders because isn't it God who puts the hook in Gog's jaw and drags him down to attack Israel? God instigates this attack so he can show his protective power and so that the Jewish people will leave their secular humanism behind and turn to him. Now, maybe not his son yet. That happens at the end of the tribulation. But we know that as a result of this amazing, miraculous victory by God himself, that the Jewish people will all return, all of them from the world, They'll resettle in Israel, and they will call Yahweh God king. That, brother, is absolutely amazing. Nathan, and not only that, but what I also find fascinating and amazing is that it closes out the chapter by the 
outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And now we all know in the book of Acts, when the church started, it was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. God wants to continue to pour out his Holy Spirit today, not just on the Jews, but also on the Gentiles. Right nation, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that outpouring of the Holy Spirit is available for you today if you open your heart to Jesus. Nathan, last week I had the privilege of giving an invitation for people to come to the Lord. Maybe this week you might be able to share with someone how they can start that relationship with him, even right now, and experience his power and his Holy Spirit. Oh, man, we just read how the God of the universe cares about us. He He's not hiding himself from us for long. He wants us to know him, and he does through his son, Jesus Christ, whom he sent to the earth to die on the cross for our sins, to take the punishment meant for us, a death, onto himself. And when we put our faith and trust in him, the, Jesus is now the savior of our life. He saves us from our sins. He saves us from eternal death and hell. And he restores us to a right relationship with the Father. Now, that's the most important decision that anybody can make in their entire lives because we are all born on the heading to hell. We are born sinners. We're born heading to hell. And we need a Savior to save us from that destiny and set us on the right path to heaven. So today, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, from faith, pray from your heart, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I'm so sorry I rebelled against you. Please forgive me of my sins and be the Savior and Lord of my life. And Jesus will do just that. Your sins will be forgiven. The guilt will be washed away and you will inherit eternal life with him. Praise the Lord, Nathan. Thank you so much for sharing that invitation. And if you have trusted in Christ, maybe you just opened up your heart to him and allow his Holy Spirit to live in you. Give us a call, 305-992-9537. Nathan and I will rejoice with you. We'll send you a Bible, a Bible study guide and a daily bread so that you can follow along and grow in your relationship with God. And we encourage you, find a good Bible teaching church that teaches prophecy, get plugged in, get baptized and serve the Lord because he is coming back very, very soon. And we are so excited for you. So Nate, I know we ran out of time for this segment of the program, but it's always a joy to encourage people and leave them with good news, right? Hey, that's what the intro music says, right? Good news, good news. <laughs> Speaking of which, we'll leave you with some good news. Vic Batista, Nathan Jones, may go, saying goodbye. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and have a wonderful week. <laughs>